0: Welcome to Dictatorum, episode 1.1, The History and Geography of Libya. Brother leader, guide of the revolution, colonel, king of kings of Africa, mad dog of the Middle East. These are all nicknames for our first dictator. A man who came to power basically overnight, ruled for 42 long, strange years, and then met an ignoble death at the hands of the people he claimed to have fought for all that time. Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. A champion against a corrupt monarchy that was too close to the West and too secular for his liking, at the young age of 27, this man led a full hearted group of soldiers to overthrow the monarch of one of the world's newest countries. Doing so would lead to 40 plus years of quote unquote revolution in which the Libyan people saw little stability, where corruption was even more rampant than under the previous regime, and where Libya would eventually become a pariah state. To try to begin to understand Gaddafi, we have to learn about Libya itself. Libya, Africa's fourth largest country, lies in the north-central region of the continent. The Mediterranean Sea marks its northern border, with Egypt and Sudan to the east, Algeria and Tunisia to the west, while Chad and Niger border it to the south. Largely a desert country, only the northern reaches near the sea are arable, leaving much of the country sparsely populated. It wasn't always this way. In prehistory, much of the Sahara Desert was more green, much like the savannah you find to the south of the modern Sahara. Neolithic people present in Libya when it was still green left rock paintings in Libya's southwest, which have now become a UNESCO World Heritage Site named Tadrath-Arkakus. Libya has been inhabited since at least 8,000 BC by the forebears of the Berber people, who still reside all over North Africa today. According to Herodotus, these ancient tribes in Libya possessed the healthiest people in the known world. The Phoenicians migrated west from the Levant and established trading posts on the coast, and much of northwest Libya was under the hegemony of Carthage by the 5th century BC. In 630 BC, Greeks conquered the eastern region of Libya and founded the city of Cyrene. The eastern section of the country to this day still bears the name Cyrenaica. The northwestern section of the country, Tripolitania, derives its name from three Greek cities located in close proximity to one another, oea Libda, which is later known as Leptis Magna, and Sabratha. In Greek, this is rendered Tripolis, from which we get the modern name Tripoli. In Libya's southwest, you have the Fasan, which lies entirely in the Sahara Desert. Cyrenaica was conquered by the Persians in 525 BC and remained subservient to them until Alexander the Great conquered it in 331. After his death, Cyrenaica was ruled from Egypt by Alexander's general Ptolemy and his descendants while intermittently gaining and losing independence. Ptolemy Appion, the last ruler of an independent Cyrenaica, bequeathed the country to the Romans upon his death in 96 BC. It was formerly annexed 22 years later while Egypt remained controlled by the Ptolemies before finally becoming a Roman province during the time of Augustus. Strangely enough, Cyrenaica was lumped in with Crete to form one province, and remained that way for more than 250 years until the reign of Diocletian, when the province was divided. Tripolitania, meanwhile, was controlled by the Carthaginians until their destruction at the hands of the Romans in 146 BC, when it fell under the control of the kings of Numidia. It, too, eventually came under the control of the Romans, as did much of Phasan in the south. With the Roman Empire now in control of the whole Mediterranean world, the three provinces hummed along nicely, and Tripolitania, even produced Roman Emperor Septimius Severus. The provinces provided wild animals for the arena, ivory for expensive jewelry, and wine and olives for the table. In Roman times, an herb known as silphium, which was used as a form of birth control, was cultivated in Cyrenaica until its extension during the time of the Emperor Nero. With the empire in terminal decline in the 400s AD, the Vandals migrated to North Africa and took up residence in Carthage and gained control of Tripolitania. Although part of the Vandal Kingdom, large portions of North Africa saw little investment from the Vandals. By the time the Romans finally returned in the form of the Byzantines, the cities and trade networks built during the Classical Era were in shambles. The Byzantine presence was never very strong in North Africa either, and was confined to the coast. New taxes levied by the Byzantines caused resentment from the locals, and when Islam exploded out of the Arabian Peninsula in the 630s and 640s, they found Cyrenaica, Tripolitania, and Fazan ripe for the taking. The Arabs first conquered Cyrenaica in 642. From there, they moved west and took Tripolitania in 647. By 663, even the nomads of the Fazan were brought to heel, and all of Libya was now in Arab hands. Monophysite Christians who lived in the region had been persecuted by the Byzantines for generations, and they welcomed their new Muslim overlords under the Rashidun Caliphate, followed shortly thereafter by their successors, the Umayyads. Libya was ruled by local governors appointed from Damascus and then Baghdad during the Golden Period of Islam. In the 900s, the Egyptian Fatimids gained control over Tripolitania, Cyrenaica, and Fasan. The regions then passed between various Muslim dynasties and kingdoms for the next several hundred years. In 1146, Tripoli was conquered by the Normans of Sicily. Reconquered by the Egyptians in 1159, the region again passed back and forth between various caliphates until the 1500s. In 1551, the Ottomans took control of Libya, and they would maintain that control until the 20th century. Initially only in control of Tripolitania, Eventually, Fazan and Cyrenaica came under their dominion. However, Ottoman Libya was left largely alone by the Turks, and at time Libya was even able to pursue its own foreign policy. Now a center for the slave trade, Tripoli became one of the largest cities on the Mediterranean coast. Although officially abolished by the 1850s, slavery would be present in Tripoli until the 1890s. Starting in the 18th century, piracy also became a feature of the Libyan coast. famously America's first military foray in a foreign country took place in Libya against the Barbary States because of the pirates attacking U.S. shipping. After the USS Philadelphia ran aground outside of Tripoli, Navy Lieutenant Stephen Decatur and a group of volunteers burned her to keep her out of the pirates' hands. This escapade is still remembered in the Marine Corps song. The Ottomans put more attention on Libya in the years following the burning of the Philadelphia and brought it under more direct control by the mid-1800s just in time for Europe to take an interest in gobbling up almost the whole African continent. Egypt had already seen French and British armies fight it out on its soil. South Africa would soon become British colonies, and the Belgians would gain control of the Congo in 1885. The French would control most of Northwest Africa by 1890, and Libya would soon find itself in the hands of a colonial master. With the power of the Ottomans winning and Italy's colonial aspirations on the rise, War broke out with Italy in 1911, which resulted in the Italians gaining control of Libya. First known as Italian North Africa, and then as Italian Tripolitania and Italian Cyrenaica, in 1934 the Italians merged Tripolitania, Cyrenaica, and Fasan and renamed their new holdings Libya, after the ancient Greek name for all of North Africa west of Egypt. The Italians had cobbled together three regions with completely different histories, values, tribal affiliations, and loyalties. While these three regions still remain tied together in modern Libya, they continue to rival each other and would play a key role in the formation of a free Libya after World War II and during Gaddafi's reign. Scores of Italian colonists crossed the Mediterranean looking to make their fortune in Italy's new prized possession. They gobbled up land and set about making the country Italy's fourth shore. The economy was quickly dominated by the Italians, and administration was the exclusive right of them. Not only did the Libyans no longer have any say in how they were ruled, but they were denied all the benefits the Italians might have been able to provide them. The Italians were not all that welcome, though. While the Ottomans had never really been loved, at least they were Muslims and they governed with a light hand. The Italians had other plans, however. An uprising soon occurred in Cyrenaica, but all Libyans would pay the price for it. Thousands were either executed or sent to concentration camps. The leader of this uprising, Omar Mukhtar, was the bane of the Italians until 1931, when he was captured and executed. He's still considered a martyr for Libya, free from foreign occupation, and remains on Libyan currency to this day. Leadership of the opposition to the Italians soon fell to Idris al Sanusi, a cleric from Cyrenaica. Let's backtrack a little bit. In 1837, an Algerian cleric named Muhammad ibn Ali al-Sanussi, the Grand Sanusi, founded a religious movement in Mecca, the Sanusiya which sought to bring Islam back to its roots. It advocated for the elimination of a number of strange religious practices that had made their way into Islam over the centuries, such as cutting oneself while chanting, or eating such things as scorpions or shards of glass. After running afoul of the Ottoman authorities, as was forced to move his activities to the Cyrenaican and coastal town of Al-Bayida. His teachings took root with the Bedouin tribesmen in Cyrenaica, who seemed to relate well to the order's simple interpretation of the faith. Furthermore, the organization, and I use this term loosely, mirrored itself on the tribal system, which was quite prevalent in Cyrenaica. Soon, they controlled a lot of the trade in Cyrenaica. Now, not only was Cyrenaica held together by tribal affiliations, but also by faith and bolstered by the Sanusia control of the trade routes. Sanusi died in 1859, and his son carried the torch for the movement until his death in 1902. Sanusi's grandson Idris was to be named heir, with Ahmad al-Sharif acting as regent until the 13-year-old Idris could come of age. In 1916, Idris finally took up the mantle as leader of the Senussi order. By this time, the Sunusi order was in de facto control over Cyrenaica. With the Ottoman Empire, at the time known as the Old Man of Europe, on its last legs, letting the Sunusi remain in power was a way to at least nominally have suzerainty over Cyrenaica, while not having to invest much in the territory. Most of the investment that made its way into the area would instead land in Tripolitania. Now back to the historical timeline. With the outbreak of World War II, Libya became a war zone. First the Nazi Germans, then the Allies took control of Libya. Famously, the British took control of Tobruk in the east and held it for months against a furious German siege. After Rommel's defeat in North Africa in 1943, Libya fell under Allied occupation and administration. Italy gave up territorial claims to Libya in 1947, which left Libya to be administered jointly by the British and the French, who had pushed into Fezzan during the war. Since Senussi had supported the British during World War II, the British government awarded him the title Emir of Cyrenaica. It was mostly a ceremonial title, but it would set Senussi up later to become the only unifying political figure in the whole country. Libya didn't have much to offer the world, since it was one of the poorest countries, It had no industry to speak of, a largely illiterate populace, and a whole bunch of desert. What it did have was a strategic location in the central Mediterranean. The Western powers were determined to keep it under their influence. They couldn't allow the Soviets to get a foothold in North Africa. Ultimately, the country's fate would be left up to the United Nations. On the 21st of November, 1949, the UN General Assembly adopted a measure requiring that Libya become an independent nation before the 1st of January, 1952. Tripolitania, Fazan, and Cyrenaica convened a national assembly in 1950 and decided that the country would be a federal constitutional monarchy. Idris Asanusi, the emir of Cyrenaica, was to be its king. This wasn't surprising, as he was the most influential man out of all three territories. Plus, the British and Americans thought they had a man they could count on. After all, while in exile in Egypt during World War II, he'd been an unconditional supporter of the British and later allied cause. In 1951, the National Assembly came up with a complicated and cumbersome constitution which made Libya into a confederation of its three-component territories, each of which enjoyed considerable amounts of autonomy. This was necessary because of the divergent interests of each region. Far from perfect, it was thought out by the Libyans themselves, and not some foreign power, as it had been for centuries. One of the unusual features of this constitution? There were two capital cities, Tripoli and Benghazi. Every two years, the whole of the Libyan government would be required to pack their things and set up shop in another city. This undertaking would prove to be so much more difficult by the fact that getting from one end of Libya to the other was complicated as the road system was basically non-existent. Nonetheless, on 24 December 1951, Libya declared independence. For better or worse, Tripolitania, Fezzan, and Cyrenaica were now forged into a modern nation-state, the United Kingdom of Libya. Libya is largely a tribal society. where in Western society tribes disappeared long ago as a social and political entity, they're still quite important in Arab society. Tribes often make up huge political blocks supporting one candidate, party, or idea together as a whole. From Morocco to Iraq, tribes have differing levels of influence in each country, but they're present everywhere in the Arab world. This becomes important in our context when certain tribes support one side or the other in Libya after independence and during the Gaddafi years. Join me next time as we meet both the first ruler of Libya, King Idris, as well as the strange but strong-willed boy from Sirte, who would eventually convince a cabal of officers to overthrow Idris and make their own government, Muammar Gaddafi.